0: Welcome back to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 53. Bob Jones, I have to apologize first for being so late. 28. No, okay, i let you off.
1: 27 minutes.
0: I was on um, well, a different time zone. That's the problem. It's,
1: it's, do you know what? It's, I genuinely think it's the first time since I've met you, you've been late to anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was I, in my head, it was three, and obviously we're recording at two. It's scary yeah.
1: because... When you're late and you're never late, it's like all the worst things go through my head. I was like, where is
0: he? And then I
1: thought, I know, I'll text Boz. He's like, yeah, he's in the shower. What's going on?
0: You, uh, yeah, you texted him, are you okay? I was like, oh, that's never happened.
1: (laughs) Genuinely. I'd
0: I'd fallen asleep on the sofa and then uh, had come up to shower to be fresh, ready to go for three. (laughs) Turns out now I'm still sat here sweating. <laughs>
1: semi-naked, yes. Yeah. Uh, you'll need another shower afterwards, but it's okay.
0: No it's stress. Good, it's all good. What's happening? How's uh, how's training going for you? You've been doing a few desert runs, I've seen. Yes, we've nearly finished.
1: recceing. recy—is that the right word? Yes. Scouting. Let's use scouting. We've yes. nearly finished scouting the entire route of something that's coming
0: soon. Well, everyone knows that we're running. keep hashtagging what you're doing so people know
1: no no we use acronyms we
0: use just letters jj to if (laughs) doesn't take sherlock to work out that out does
1: it some people still won't get that so we're gonna just not tell anyone it's more fun to not tell people because it annoys them
0: jebel janus
1: (laughs) what's jebel i don't even know what you're talking about
0: true true i don't know either i don't speak arabic Nice. So how is the terrain what is it like all different? Is it all the same? It's all different. There is mountainous
1: waterfall with rocks the size of houses and cars that you need to climb over, you can get stuck in. That's the start.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there is some amazing wadi running. There's some single Jeep track. There is single trail. And then you leave all of that behind and go through sand dunes.
0: What do you prefer? You prefer the technical.
1: I think I prefer the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very nice. Actually, that's quite nice as well because most of it is in the mountains. Okay. Say two thirds is mountainous and one third is sand.
0: Mm. I it's heard the other day, three hours, 12K in three hours was the. Yeah.
1: Oh, that, that section was nuts. Absolutely nuts it's you sort of it's one of this the sands hopefully by the time we do this run the sand's going to change consistency um as it does obviously in the summer and through the heat it gets more powdery and this section we're on it's it's used a lot by camels so it's just always it's just all churned up so we're going to have to almost go off to the side a little bit more and try and find some hard compact sands because it just
0: fries
1: your legs so if you take a step and your, your whole ankle disappears into the sand. So you can't get mm-hmm. any, any force production off the floor. It's wasting a lot of energy,
0: but interestingly,
1: yeah. it was, it was almost harder to walk in that terrain than it was to run. Uh, sure. So we walked sort of the first, we had to walk the first half and on the way back, we, we ran and it was easier to run at sort of six minutes, five thirty to six minutes a K than it was to walk at 10 minutes a K.
0: Wow. And your hip flexors must be on fire. Oh, All Friday, I couldn't walk down the stairs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything, everything was sore. But this is this is why we do it. It's part of the fun, eh? Yeah, so, it was yeah definitely we, part of the learning. There's some good. Uh, we've got some interesting training runs coming up that
0: scare me. <laughs> And you're mapping them out, obviously, so you know kind of roughly how much fuel you need to take. But have you yes. come to any points where you're worried you're going to run out of water now? Um
1: There's a few sections on the route. See, we've kind of split it up. Our, our, well, we've been looking at the route in sort of maximum 20k blocks. Um, and there's a few sections where we'll be without water for quite a while. So we're going to aim to carry probably about four litres each. And see what happens mm. there might be sections where it's a bit dicey but that's part of the fun isn't
0: it you've got found some idiots to come with your mountain bikes as well maybe yeah camel some water <laughs> along there's no way you can mountain bike the first section no way i'm gonna get one of those backpacks that you can put your mountain bike in <laughs> and then ask you to lift it for
1: me you should get one of those <laughs> foldable mountain bikes, like you know the folding ones you can see people commute with Yeah run really? half cycle half <laughs> problems <Prompt them. laughs> yeah it's going to be it's for one thing it's definitely going to be a, a huge adventure even yeah. just what we're running on sunday there's i didn't know we, we literally followed the path next to the camel ra- is it you know you've been to the camel racetrack if you drive out towards the sevens mm. instead of a camel autodrome if you like we find where that starts So if you like imagine right all the camels don't live around the racetrack they don't get shipped in People walk them in, and it's like a 12-kilometer, if you like, road for camels, for people that own these camels or wherever they keep them in their camel farm, to walk them or run them or jog them towards the camel racetrack. So we basically it's followed it's that entire... It's, it's nuts, literally. Hundreds and hundreds of camels, camel herders. I don't know if you can call them that camel joggers, yeah, whatever they are, herders, just running these camels up and down this track and we're running beside it
0: they have little camel service stations
1: yeah I'll admit I've never seen anything like it in my life and I wouldn't have have seen that unless we'd uh, decided to run beside it so (laughs) yeah some interesting things I've never seen before
0: (laughs) nice well we've had a few interesting weeks on the podcast as well to be fair I'm still uh, thinking about Josh Stinton's hot air balloon running (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> just, yeah, it's just, it, just when you think you've heard and seen everything, nothing, I'm, now I've decided that nothing's going to surprise
0: me. Yeah, I can't wait to get him back on the show when, uh, next year when he's actually done it or just before he's done it. I can't, I can't wait to,
1: like, to follow it and to see, I want to see it when it's built and to see some of his test runs. Yeah. I'm yeah. super excited for I've got a vision in my mind of what it looks like. Yeah. And I can't see how it would be any different.
0: Yeah, I agreed. Same. That was episode 50, um, and that is Josh Stinton, the Charity Adventurer. And if you want to check out what he's been doing, if you want to know what we're talking about, he's called at the Charity Adventurer mm-hmm. on Instagram. So head over there and, and have a look. Follow his page. He puts up interesting stuff most days, to be fair.
1: Yeah.
0: What episode about your
1: 51? training? How's your
0: training going? Because you've actually you've been no, no, running no, no. again. I need to ask you the question first. Oh. After show 51, FKT with Christian Morgan, did you go and do your fkt oh, I haven't. no unreal sorry how are you forgetting <laughs> last week you promised <laughs> you promised all the listeners switching off as we speak they no longer trust your word
1: <laughs> i did go and get an fkt uh, somewhere around the springs
0: on saturday i did that instead right there isn't one there, mate. I looked on the website. The only one in Dubai is Burj to Birch. Oh, that's an FKT.com. I'm, I'm going by Strava. No, 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 no. This isn't KOM hunting. Uh,
1: okay. That's easy. This that's easy. This is FKTing. FKTing. Sorry, it's a different kettle of fish. Right. <laughs> do, you know, it's, it's a, do you know what? It's actually a pain in the ass to get to the Burj Khalifa. Oh, so now you're pulling out of it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just stating facts. You said you'd pace me, but you're not race it yet.
0: Listeners, please give Rob Jones shit for not doing his FKT <laughs> at Rob Jones Endurance. Spam him with as much as possible to make him go and do this FKT. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then last week we had Joe Kepler on, all about Definitely. running 130Ks through her ranch in South Africa, yeah. the Southern Lodestar Foundation, which, yeah, that was a pretty fun show.
1: Yeah, they raise money. What was the the fact? I think it was like something works out like uh, about twenty pence. It is to feed a child some uh, some oats with added nutrients, isn't it, for a day? And they do this
0: six pence, sorry, one point three rand, six pence, thirty fills,
1: thirty fills a day, and they're feeding these these kids every day. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it is. So head back. Listen, if you can, if you got spare few hours go and listen to the last three shows there's a little bit of everything in there and uh, it's definitely well worth listening to this week we have q a we haven't done a QA for a while mate no let's see how long we um that was.
1: We did, we, we've got some more guests lined up for the future but we just thought Do you know what we haven't we haven't spoken to or asked asked we haven't answered anyone's questions in a long
0: time long time in fact we have to go all the way back to episode 37 hmm which was in June. There we go. And I think that shows because we've had a load of questions come in. We've picked yep. the top eight. Top eight questions. We Should we kick it off? To work.
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'll read the first one because the first one I think you are in probably the prime position to talk about given yes. your current situation. And question right. one is coming from John. And he says, how can you not lose what you've built when you are injured? Specifically, he has gone, played football, stupid sport, Mm. and uh, twisted his ankle. Very common in football.
0: Yeah, very common football injury. Hopefully he did it celebrating a goal. Yeah,
1: he started running, I know this because I I did some background, he started running full-time pretty much in June. He's built up his fitness, huge aerobic base now since, well, running since the start of June. Um, He's running sort of four or five times a week played football twice a week as extra and he's gone and he's injured himself and I cannot run. He can literally do about five minutes on a static bike. That's about it. And he's obviously worried about losing all of these fitness gains that he's built up over the last few months. So, Thomas Walker, you've been in a very similar situation the last week, yeah. month and a half, two months. Yeah,
0: six weeks now, I think,
1: tomorrow.
0: No, longer, seven weeks tomorrow. So what do you think? How do you not lose what you've built up? well you are i think the first thing to acknowledge that you are going to lose something Mm -hmm. um, because simply by the fact that you're not running so you know nothing beats specificity when it comes to fitness and the specificity of running is running with a twisted ankle you can't run so you're going to lose something i think the key point there is to not stress on it and not panic over it because you know got to ask yourself why are you running well if it's to keep healthy well there's other ways to exercise and keep healthy if it's to keep weight down well there's other ways to exercise and keep weight down if it's purely for the love of running well then actually that's even better because you can tell yourself okay i need to follow the correct steps and i can get back to what i want to be doing um, in a way that's going to be better for myself so i can come back stronger than when i actually did it Mm -hmm. you know the first time so i would not be too stressed on it that's easier said than done for sure for me i've Learned over the years, not to stress out when I get injured. Um, that's just through being rep- like repetitions of being injured. <laughs> um, you kind of like have to learn the hard way. Um, I think then to follow on to that is to not like over-treat it straight away. So some people um, twist it and then they immediately, you know, get uh, like ice on it and start rubbing it and start trying to touch the area and try and almost like push the the sprain out of the area and they're like, oh yeah, it hurts when I poke it. And it's like, oh, stop. (laughs) You're aggravating it further. So you should put on a little bit of ice is is okay. There's actually arguments for and against. If it feels better with a bit of ice on, then then do it. But don't immediately put ice on and give yourself ice burn or um, wrap it up too tight or start trying to foam roll it out because it's simply, you know, that pain is just telling you it needs to be left alone and actually needs a little bit of swelling to come along to protect the area. And then once it's swollen up, you can then start applying ice and compression to move that blood out of the area to get new blood in. So for the first two to three days, the key thing is to just leave it alone. Um, And I actually went on to crutches for two days to make sure I stayed off it as well. And if you remember, I got you to piggyback me around where I needed to go within the gym.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You did. And you're actually heavier than I thought. (laughs) Yeah.
0: dense bone so yeah you need to find a friend who's strong and can piggyback you if you're not going to use crutches Um, but if you've really twisted it properly then you're going to need crutches Mm -hmm. and you I don't know I a lot of people said did I go to hospital to get it scanned and things and I didn't because I kind of knew it wasn't broken but that's only because I've broken bones in my feet before so I know what a break feels like and then it didn't really matter if what if I got an MRI or not because either way you treat it the same you just rest and keep pressure off so I went and got assessed by a physio the guys at disc Mm -hmm. and they said it's probably a severe strain and it'll take uh, three to four weeks before you can walk normally and then another few weeks before you can run so I immediately laid out what the timeline was for myself and then you've got to look at, well, how are you going to keep any fitness that you've got? Or maybe how are you going to build fitness in other areas? Yeah. Um, and to do that, it's very helpful to have an outside source looking in for you, such as a coach. Uh, otherwise, you probably tend to either be too cautious on yourself and not do anything, or over-program for yourself and probably get yourself injured in another way. Mm-hmm. So I obviously told my coach what I'd done, and she programmed in. Some uh, the first week, nothing with impact. Um, it was basically like if you can ride your bike without pain, then do that. If you can swim without pain, then do that. So, I was kind of trying out what worked for me. I could ride my bike pretty well. Um, so I carried on doing that. Swimming, kicking hurt, so I just did pull sets Mm
1: -hmm. and didn't
0: push off the wall. And then that was it, that's all I did. And I did a lot of um, foam rolling above injury point as well to make sure that when i put um ice packs on it in the evenings that blood flow could move up my leg as efficiently as possible yeah then as you start to be able to walk normally you can start looking at reloading within your training um but that shouldn't be any impact load it should just be um load that's put on not suddenly so you might just do weight bearing stuff so that would mean like standing next to a wall with your weight uh, against the wall and just try lifting your other foot off and see mm-hmm. how it feels, just putting weight through one leg. Um, you might do some light banded um, ankle rotations, some plantar flexion extension, um, yeah, some inversion, eversion, and figure out if it's still painful the way that you've twisted it. It's likely that it's still painful the way that you've rolled it, but you can probably do... Um, flexion extension and uh, dorsiflexion plantar flexion pretty well that doesn't mean you can then start going and loading it again because it's when it's unstable is when you're likely to retwist it and one of the key indicators of an ankle twist or one of the things that is going to make you do it again is not recovering from the first time you do it so a lot of people once they start twisting their ankles it reoccurs again and again and again this is um, this goes
1: back to what you're saying that people are once it starts to feel a little bit better, they're keen to just get straight back into yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you need to rehab it properly. So you then start working through the ranges of motion, and until you're pain free in all ranges of motion, um, you then would start doing some loaded range of motion. So then, some single leg work, single leg balances. Um, you might have seen the video on my Instagram a few weeks back where I was standing on one leg on a foam pad catching a tennis ball that's all to do with loading phase so that was four weeks in and I wanted to see whether it could take my load with balance shifting around the ankle joint so I mean that was that was four weeks gone and yeah it was still a bit painful that day so kind of knew okay we need to give it another week I was doing some aqua jogging probably three sessions a week for two weeks Mm -hmm. of aqua jogging and after the first week it it did still ache after it and then i did some cross trainer so still non-impact uh alongside the aqua jogging and and that did still give it some aching but it wasn't aching for long afterwards it was just during Mm -hmm. and then i had two weeks of doing walk runs which we jokingly called the start to walk program Um, but it really was (laughs) And then only last week or the end of two weeks ago, I ran for 15 minutes nonstop. I did it again the two days afterwards. Then I ran half an hour, um, the beginning of last week. And then I had another half an hour run on Thursday with, um, the coffee run. Actually, it was 20 minutes, but I started off with you and Marcus and it just felt okay. So I just carried on running and actually ended up running an hour
1: got 11k done didn't you
0: yeah and that's so that's six weeks post uh sprain and you can say an ankle sprain doesn't sound like much but six weeks is a long time worrying mm. about you know losing your fitness and I, yeah I may i have lost a lot of run fitness I mean I 530 pace is like my <laughs> currently my pace at the moment which is a bit weird to say but yeah it just is what it is I would look at other ways of keeping your aerobic fitness in, such as swimming, make sure you've got a pull boy in, in between your legs, cycling, if you can, it doesn't hurt. Um, get onto the cross trainer as quickly as you can, because that mm-hmm. mimics running pretty well. And you can also give yourself a real beast of a workout. I was doing 45-minute sessions on there, um, basically like four minutes hard, one minute easy for 45 minutes. And you can really get yourself working hard. If that feels too tough, knock it down for like 90 seconds hard, 30 seconds easy, or even 90 seconds hard, 90 seconds easy, something like that. Before you know it, you're dripping in sweat and your heart rate's right up. So you can do that. You could focus on some upper body work, some upper body weight, some core work, um, lots of hips and glutes work because maybe you've rolled it because of, of weakness up the chain. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. It's just purely based on – I would know if I knew what, how the roll looked. Um, my ankle roll was completely by chance – i slipped off a curb and went over on it. So it wasn't to do with anything of the way I was running or whatever. But sometimes if you tend to run um, with toes in, especially in football, if you catch a stud, you're going to go over the top of your foot. So you're going to roll it inwards. So you might start doing some um, external glute work to get your toes to start pointing a little bit more forward, correct any knee valgus issues. I mean, there's loads of work you can be doing that doesn't need your ankle to be involved And
1: one thing I would say probably a big concern that lots of people have is when they go from high high amounts of exercise or they're doing lots of effort, lots of running in the day, and then they go to almost nothing, a huge fear probably psychologically for a lot of people is that they're going to gain all this weight, especially if they've done started running for weight loss. Did you change any of your nutritional values? Did you look at changing macros? Did you make any swaps from what you're currently
0: eating or doing? Actually, the first five days – um, I didn't, but I was in quite a heavy block. So I actually slept for ten hours a day for the first five days because I yeah. wasn't working up to do exercise. <laughs> um, so I just took it with extra sleep, which obviously I'm not eating during that extra sleep time. And mm-hmm. then I pretty much ate normally. Just I wasn't doing like my recovery meals that I'd normally do after training. Yeah. But if you are worried about gaining weight, um, dealing with an injury, just remember that. For an injury to repair, if it's certainly if it's a tendon or bone injury, you need to keep your protein high because um, that's going to help to rebuild the tissue and the bone around that area. So I wouldn't knock back in your protein around your exercise. Obviously, carbohydrate is uh, is quite individual to most people, but if you're used to eating um, a decent amount of carbohydrates in your day to fuel the exercise, and then you go to nothing because you think oh, I don't want to gain weight you're going to get some serious cravings and probably fall off the bandwagon on the other side of that. So I would just um, look at your portion sizes, control portions, keep protein high and keep rehydrating because um, you won't f- feel as thirsty when you're not mm-hmm. exercising. So just keep tabs on how much you're drinking and then find another way to to exercise. I don't think there's, yeah. there's no excuse for the twisted ankle to not be doing exercise. Like I was doing floor work, core work, yoga, and it was all fine you just adapt it around what your ankle allows you to do
1: yeah very good i think that pretty much covers everything <laughs> hopefully
0: <laughs> good answer sweet next one what do you think about the new races rules and safety measures have you raced in the new rules way? i haven't actually raced
1: with the new rules but yeah. One of our other coaches, Steph, has, and actually she brought it up in the meeting that we talked about yesterday. And for the most part, the, um, she said it was very well organized. The new race rules were I – I don't know what the rules were, but I know that it was like, almost like a staggered start. So they had lines on the floor that would stagger when people were allowed to start their race. And it was almost like an open-ended start time, wasn't it? So you start the race – anywhere between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. You're not allowed to bunch up at the start line, but then the finish line, it's sort of, I guess, once you're in the race, it's spread yourself out naturally. Um, But yeah, I know that the the Ratcalf Marathon race has just come out and they have, again, staggered start times. So you pay a higher fee to start earlier in the morning, obviously when it's cooler. And as the day progresses the prices drop because it's going to get hotter. What do you <laughs> think of that, Ray? What do you think of that? I guess they want to get the same number of people. It's a very popular race, but it's very popular because it's flat and it's a PB course. It's the world's fastest half marathon. As soon as you take out the conditions and you push it to later in the day, it's still a flat, fast course, but you're losing part of what it is, part of the edge, why it's so fast. So. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'd, it puts me off going to that race now. I, don't, I, don't, I think I'll go because our athletes will go, but I'm not going to run it, I don't think. Um, but I'm going to go and shout at people. But I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I um, Yeah, something... I'm not sure. I don't quite like that. I understand why they've done it, but... Yeah. I, I can't... I don't think I agree with it, to be honest. I don't like the fact... Fair enough. First come, first served. Yes. Yeah. I think the first one, but don't
0: band it by price. They've made it's it expensive. expensive somewhere like time. loyalty. So like yeah. how many rack halves have you done? You just spilled water all down yourself, I saw. I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> everywhere. Figure out who's done the most rack half marathons and give them priority booking, I think is mm-hmm. the way to do it. Because then it's almost like they have loyalty cards. Because you want to look after the people who've made it the race that it is
1: exactly and um, or another way to look
0: at it is to look at your projected finish time yeah yeah or start, or, the race,
1: start the race a lot earlier
0: yeah some of them saying about running them over the weekend so mm. you could do you could even do like a Thursday night Friday morning Saturday morning or because an evening some people would run it in the evening wouldn't they happily when temperatures have cooled
1: I'd be quite happy to start running a race at 3am
0: you would mate yeah if- <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you know it's going to be cool, or even 4am. I think the first band starts at 6, something like that. So it's still, it's, it's quite a late start. I think the race last year was about 6. Um, so they've not pushed the start time any earlier, but if you're going to try and run a half marathon at pace, 8 o'clock, you're, you know, oh, granted, this is going to be for the people that are already pushing for their half marathon PB. You're probably not going to get it if you start at 8am. it to be
0: like that 10k time trial we did in the middle of summer. <laughs> over the chaos of that just collapsed all the maybe we made it shorter as
1: well we made it like (laughs) yeah we did 30 minutes
0: yeah Uh, yeah i agree with that i i haven't raced in the new rules either or safety measures so i don't really have much to comment i just i think organizers have such a difficult job right now and we did a show on are you ready to race yet show 45 back in august yeah one of those was just have a little bit of patience and tolerance for race organizers because mm-hmm. they don't know what they're doing either at the moment um but we were at Roy Nassau on the weekend we had a, a good team down there doing the Roy Nassau triathlon put on by RaceMe. and I must say it was it was really well done you couldn't it wasn't obvious there was a lot of things in place for COVID but the fact there was, and it was it was ran really well. And 400 athletes all had a great day, and I didn't see anyone complaining. That's so awesome. that, was, that was pretty cool. There's I think there's future. Um, there's hope for the future with racing. I just think don't expect it to be like it has been at least for another two years. Mm. I think so. True. All right. Um, What's next? So the next one,
1: mate. Um. Okay. Now that races are on again, what is a good warm-up routine? I do a little bit of stretching, but that's about it. Um, I don't know who that one came in
0: from. Well, I would first ask what sort of stretching, because what you don't want to be doing pre-race is static stretching. No, definitely that has not. has been shown to um, deactivate your muscle uh motor neurons so basically you are down regulating how excited your muscles can get which obviously you don't want to do before you're going to go into a hard effort
1: a uh, a, a part of a study that i read it was, a, it was quite a while ago but i remember i did a video on this for the dubai marathon last year and the study that i found said that you can you can suffer the negative effects of stretching a cold muscle so a muscle that you haven't if you're like pre-warmed up, so all these people that are just standing around, you know, grabbing their ankles, grabbing their heels, pulling their knees to their chest, trying to touch their toes on the start line, just for fun, you can suffer those negative effects up to two hours post-stretch, which is the middle, potentially, of these guys' marathon times. Um, They'll make you weaker, make you slower, it's going to make the muscle less efficient, ultimately it's going to compromise your endurance performance.
0: But you fit in with everyone else doing it, so. <laughs> <That's
1: fine. laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this is a good one because we actually, we had our athletes. We have a, if you like, a, a warm-up routine that we put our athletes through pre-race. And when we, pre-COVID, obviously, when we were able to, to get our large groups together, we did group warm-ups pre-event. And people looked at us weird, but then the amount of PBs that we were getting in all of these races, because people are going into the race Ready, prepared, fired up, and warm, it makes a hell of a difference.
0: I actually have it pulled up here to explain to people. Um, but bearing in mind, this is based on a Dubai race. So we're always going with the premise that the air temperature that you're in is pretty warm. Mm. I would say if you're going into a UK season now or a US winter season or anywhere that's getting cooler, you're going to want to run a little bit more than. Than what our warm up routine is. The reason being here is if you run for like ten minutes easy for some people that triggers a sweat response and you actually start to lose your fluid and electrolytes before you've even started the race. Yeah. So we do a five minute easy jog just to let your heart rate build and a little bit of body temperature, but more temperature going into your muscles than your total body temperature. Yeah, and then for three minutes. So you do five minutes easy and in three minutes you're focusing on your cadence and form. So you then work your way up to eight minutes. So cadence and form meaning um, you're focusing on like how, what is your run cadence? Are you, are you running nice and tall? Are you striking the ground in the, in the amount of times you want to be for when you're mm-hmm. running your race? And is your form good? So are you running tall, tight core? Are your arms going hip to nip? Are your shoulders relaxed? Is your neck relaxed? Is your head straight? Um, all those sort of things, how's your foot landing, is it under the hips, that three minutes you should be thinking how are you feeling because then you're going to get two minutes to stop and you're going to loosen off any tight areas that you're feeling. So you might go quickly do some knee to wall, uh, maybe some leg swings to loosen up the hips. Um, If you're feeling really, really tight, maybe some walkouts. You could do some um, wide stance, some sumo bodyweight squats, which also help to lead off the hips, maybe some duck walks those are things in there that you could do, but you're going to figure out what, how you're feeling during that first eight minutes.
1: And it's uh, notable that all of those stretches that you just mentioned would be classified if you like in commas, dynamic stretching as opposed to static stretching.
0: Correct. Yeah. We're not going to go touch toes football style and then, you know, jump on the spot a little bit and off we go. Yeah. You're then going to go into a build, which is to excite the muscle fibers. So this so should replicate, replicate like the start of the race. Uh-huh. Um, so it's two-minute build, and you're going faster in each 20 seconds with a two-minute easy jog in between, and, and that you get two times of those. So that's a total of eight minutes as well. So we're only 16 minutes into a warm-up here. Um, so you'd run 20 seconds, and you run faster for 20 seconds, then faster, faster, faster until you've hit two minutes, and then you really easy, maybe even a walk, mm-hmm. um, for two minutes, and then you do that one more time through, and then you go into 10-second or four times 10-second surges into 10 seconds easy, um, into 60 seconds. So one minute at your goal race pace for that race that also replicates the start line. So you're going to fly out the blocks, then you're going to pull it back and then you're going to get into your race pace and you're going to do that four times through. And -hmm. then you're doing two minutes, easy jog. And we actually put in there that you should start to visualize how your race is going to feel when you start, because The most common error we see every time, time and time and again, is people run that first one kilometer of their 10K, the first two kilometers of a half marathon, and the first 10 kilometers of a marathon, way too fast. So if you can visualize how you're going to be, how you're going to feel, then you're going to do yourself a lot more justice when the race gun goes and everyone else shoots off and you're there knowing that you're doing the right thing by running at the pace that you've set and the pace that maybe your coach or the pace that you've worked out is your marathon pace within your plan. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do like a marathon, that can change a little bit. We probably do a little less of the short, intense stuff and maybe switch to more like a three-minute build where you're going faster on each minute because you don't want to be going anywhere near under like 5K race pace in your warm-up for a marathon. There's just no need. You're you're risking the chance for injury.
1: You want to be targeting the pace that you're going to be running at for potentially three, four hours, right?
0: Yeah, but each warm-up we have is no longer than 20 minutes Uh, for Dubai conditions if you're in a colder climate then um, you can either wear more clothes for the warm-up which is a good idea however I find that sometimes if I warm up um, in too many clothes and when I take them off I feel much colder Mm -hmm. so actually rather um, like strip right down to race kit and leave just a top on and then your legs are getting used to the temperature, and then I actually just jog a bit more. So I do like an extra five minutes at the start of easy jogging, and yeah, get going. But again, it's specificity to what you're doing. So, like, you're going doing going to do a run race. This question is for a, for a run race, which I assume it is. Then spend time running beforehand. Don't just go. St- don't just walk to the start line and then expect your run legs to to come with you.
1: Yeah. So I suppose that's, we split that up into three stages. So we're starting like um, low intensity activity, like rhythmic stuff to elevate your heart rate and your body temperature. So that's an easy run. Then you're looking at some dynamic work. So loosening off, a bit of stretching, but dynamic stretching, some drills, whatever feels tight on the day that will depend on multitudes of factors and be very individual. And then you're looking at skill specific specificity, if you like, running some intervals at your goal race pace?
0: Yeah, we actually use a system called the RAMP system. So um, R is for uh, raise, so Mm -hmm. raise body temperature and pulse. A is for activate, so activate the muscles that you're gonna want to use for the event that you're about to go in, Um, mobilize any areas that are feeling tight or not quite right, and then potentiate, which is excite the correct muscle fibers for the specific event that you have. So, exactly what you just said, mate, but in an acronym RAMP. Love it. Ever forget how to warm up? Just remember RAMP. RAMP. (laughs) Awesome. What have we got next? Uh, Number four. Can we speed up recovery with supplements from Al Gandhi? How do you look at this one, mate? How do you look at this now?
1: now speeding up that sounds to me like looking for a shortcut well a few things maybe you're waking up and you've got the doms so he's been training super super hard and he doesn't want to feel that soreness when he wakes up we actually talked about this today as you were leaving before you went (laughs) um i would part of me thinks maybe it's more just nutritional so is he making the right nutritional choices is he getting enough carbohydrate enough hydration enough protein um enough sleep i'd say there's probably more that you can do in your normal day to day without supplementation first and that's what i'd look at
0: first mm. i i view this question a lot differently to how i used to um obviously the main thing that comes to your mind would be like protein supplements mm. creatine supplements all of that but bcaas and yeah. nitric, nitric, nitrates and branches and amino acids and yeah like pills that. Yeah, no, now I think, um, speed up recovery with supplements. I do think mainly the main time we were going to recover is in our sleep. So mm. what can you do to help you sleep better? You mentioned it as well, mate, that that's what I would be looking at this. So, um, I, I do think it's handy to have a good, uh, like protein shake that you can rely on if you can't get to real food to have after a workout. With endurance athletes, it's important to get in a good ratio of carbohydrates with that protein supplement as well. Really hard sessions, you want four to one, carb to protein, Um, like standard endurance sessions, three to one. And if it's not been much, then two to one is pretty good. But then what are you going to do after that that's going to make sure that you get good sleep that night because that's where you're going to really recover? Um, And then I guess so we're talking about sleep supplements if we're thinking about it that way, which... Again, I don't think there's a magic formula. Um, I take magnesium, I take fish oil, I take vitamin D and vitamin B. um, And they're all basically to help me to get to the end of the day and and sleep as good as I can. That's it though. Do you take any others, mate?
1: I take, at the minute, I take uh, fish oil, I take zinc and magnesium before bed. Uh, And that's is it I take a protein powder for pure simplicity post training session, yes. um, but again, I'm not rigid on it, it doesn't have to be straight after. But most of the time, it's when I finish a hard session, I'll have a protein shake just because I'll stick it in my bag and it's there. Um, that's it. Like, bedtime routine is pretty bang on, so we know we put Hannah to bed at seven. From about seven thirty we start to wind down. The uh our UV blocking glasses are on if we're using any, if we're looking at the TV, if we're looking at our Kindles, if we're on the laptop or phone, but we try not to be when Hannah goes to bed. And then we're in bed by eight thirty, nine, nine thirty at the latest. Living and, the dream. Uh, living the dream, exactly. But yeah, we like for my recovery, most of it I say is based on sleep. And if If I've had a really good sleep, I generally feel much, much better in the long run. Um, And if I don't have a really good sleep, I know and I can feel it in my performance.
0: Yeah, same, mate. Big time. Um, I would refer back to show 26, which is building routines to level up your sleep. Yes. It's not a supplement, but it is very useful because, as I said... Your, your best recovery comes from when you're sleeping the best. Yeah. Um, if you're not sleeping and you're run down, you will get ill and you won't be recovering. Correct.
1: I am. Um, I went and found this study as well. It's uh, June, 2019. The title is nutrition and supplement uptake for the endurance athlete review and recommendations. And it looked at, it looked at a multitude of studies, um, 44 articles uh, 23 research papers. It removed five duplic- duplicates. And the, the key things it came up with and the key categories were carbohydrates, proteins, water, um, and antioxidants, but through natural food sources. And mm-hmm. they were the key things that it focused on for recovery in terms of nutrition. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there was no mention
1: well- of BCAAs. There was no mention of. Um, was mentioned about actually protein powder but everything else is all from food sources
0: yeah i think we beat that drum pretty consistently as well no yeah. magic formulas have an apple have an apple an apple <laughs> a day two <laughs> if it was a hard session that's it <laughs> good next question any advice on the best shoes to run long distances in and that's from at the real rough. The real rap, what a cool name. Yeah. Um,
1: This is so individual. Yeah, yeah. This is the problem. So running shoes, I think we've talked about this before as well. Ultimately, like the best run shoes for you are the best run shoes for you. They're not the best run shoes for me and they're certainly not the best run shoes for Tom because he's walking a lot at the minute. Um, (laughs) So you need to find a shoe that's comfortable, that fits well. It might be a minimalist shoe, it might be a super cushion shoe everyone is going to have different feelings different reactions to how they run in different shoes you just need to try some out really don't you show
0: 15 running shoes what matters what matters it was one of our first it was our first show of this year actually we went we went pretty geek into on that. shoes yeah on shoes yeah
1: Actually, again, I listened to something or read something the other day and it was talking about, I think you actually sent me a podcast to listen to and it was all about running shoes. Maybe we can link it in the show notes. Um, And it was looking at if you, they did a study on runners and the force production. And if you, the runners that were running in minimalist shoes were producing less force through the force plates on the treadmill than those running in cushioned shoes. Because the runners in the cushion shoes, because of the cushioning, they weren't, um, if you like, they're running with poorer mechanics and slamming their feet on the floor versus the guys in minimalist shoes who couldn't afford to do that because of injury and injury risk and just probably, Mm. I guess, pain. Um, So they land on the ground lighter with less force, which isn't what you'd typically think.
0: Actually, yeah, it it also explains not necessarily less force, but your time to peak. Okay. So if you're running in a cushioned shoe, what you can see from when they hit the force plate is a really fast upwards curve to your mm-hmm. peak force. So you're getting to your peak force of that ground contact faster than if you're in a minimal shoe, which takes more of a natural sloping curve or a less sloping curve, which means that you're adding force into the leg more like slower we're still talking 0.25 of a second here but you're doing the ramp rates more slowly so you've got less impact immediately coming in through the leg so uh, a more cushioned shoe might feel like you're not putting as much force down but that's because you're got cushion underneath your foot protecting you but Mm -hmm. actually you are hitting the peak force faster than if you're in a um a barefoot shoe where because your foot has got more proprioception to the floor, it can load the force in through your leg at a better rate because it's got more area foot surface to disperse through than mm-hmm. when in a, in a heeled shoe. So, yeah, and then you, de- you tend to run lighter on your feet when you are running barefoot on, say, um, grass or like a softer surface than when in a cushioned shoe on a hard surface, because it's like uh, boxing. If you don't wear a boxing glove and you punch a wall, it hurts. If you put on a glove and punch a wall, it doesn't hurt. So you can punch harder with the cushioning and not as hard without the cushioning. Same thing when you're in running shoes. It's such a tricky subject, mate. Right? So tricky. There's no um, there's no real answer to it apart from buy some, and then figure out if you like them or not. And I would use I would take advantage of of companies' return policies like. Buy a set of the Nikes. Buy a set of Adidas. Buy a set of Ons. Buy a set of Asics. Mm. Just get them all in, try them on. Make sure you check the returns thing. Take run on um on a clean surface so you don't put any mess on them on the soles of your feet. And figure out what suits you, what fits you. Like wear them around the house for half an hour with the laces done up, and, and find out if you get any hot spots. Yeah, you know and the ones that you don't like, just stick them back in the box and, and send back. You've not taken them outside. You've not got them muddy anything like that, so they should, they should return them and, and you end up with a pair that you like.
1: It's also, um, I know in the UK, lots of the independent running shops will do treadmill analysis and they'll, they can suggest shoe types that might fit you better based on how you run. And um, lots of these guys don't work on commission whereas lots of the shops here do and they're, yeah. they're trying to push you a certain shoe. But yeah, if you can get to one of these independent stores, you can get a run analysis done. Maybe you can get some suggestions on the type of shoe that would be better suited for you.
0: That's what our project DXB guys are getting. Yeah. A shoe, uh, a gate analysis and a, and a shoe analysis so that they can be given the right pair of ons. Cause even within running manufactured brands, there's different types of shoe like you run in a cloud flow and I run in a cloud surfer.
1: Yep. And actually I know that in the, we're saying this on do this, but also Adidas do this. And I think it's more of the Emirates. They've got a treadmill in store and they can recommend which is the best Adidas shoe for you based on how you run. Lots of companies do, do do it within their own brands. Yeah, they do. Awesome. Next question. Tips on cadence, just tips, (laughs) any tips on cadence. Tarek Jabby, none, mate. Sorry, figure it out. He asks me about cadence all the time. Do you know where Uh, it dates back to, mate? Do you know where cadence comes from? What the word cadence? No, well, like where it was like brought up and it started being studied and looked at.
0: Nah, tell
1: me. 1984 Olympics. Doctor, our favorite doctor here, Doctor Jack Daniels. Ah,
0: yeah.
1: And he looked at the, uh, the track, because I, I sent you an article on this, actually, that I wrote. He looked at track events that were more than, I think it was 800 meters or something, and then noticed that only one, one athlete in the events more than 800 meters had a cadence of less than 180. So yes, they started looking right. at the 180 number, and where it comes from.
0: Correct. There I do know it. that the studies that look at cadence, they although they give that figure of 180 being optimal, it's actually very much individual preference. However, yeah. most good level runners are running between a range of 180 to 190. Yeah. But if you run fast with slow cadence, it doesn't mean you're, you're running fast. So who can say that you're not? However, if you're looking to gain some speed and improve your running and your cadence is low, then it is worth training to see if a higher cadence will help you to run faster. And nine times out of 10, it will because of the mechanics of running. If your cadence is higher, you're naturally landing with your foot further underneath your hip, which helps the body weight or your center of mass to be further forwards or you're leaning further ahead of your center of mass, which means that you're falling easier. And running is just falling, controlled falling with your foot going down every time. If you tend to have a lower cadence, you're probably tending to strike your foot out quite far in front of you, which means that your center of mass falls, uh, means your body weight falls behind your center of mass, meaning you then have to work a little bit harder to get over the top, if you imagine. And the way I always describe this to people is when you're going down a hill and you want to stop, you put your heel down in front of you to try and stop yourself as a break. Well, now think about doing that every time you go out and run. That's why we tend to try not to coach the heel strike. We try and coach a uh, neutral foot landing or a forefoot strike, but not necessarily coaching it as a forefoot strike. We coach it through thinking about where your foot is landing under your hip. And to help with that, we get people to work on their cadence. So the actual best tip I have for working on cadence is to just do cadence practice. Cadence. Yeah. So put your stopwatch on for a minute and see if you can take 180 steps in a minute.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, or if you want to count one foot ninety eighty five to ninety, and then figure it out and and try and get yourself comfortable there. We we do a lot of different runs that have certain intervals in where you're not focusing on speed, heart rate, or RP. You're focusing on cadence, I'm trying to get it's your that, cadence at a certain point.
1: Yeah, well, I think lots of people when they when they try to run faster as well, like like you said there, people they tend to overstride, so they try to land, they try to bring that front foot further forward, and like I say, it causes those braking forces or running downhill and landing on your heel first, and you get too much, um, if you like, there's less glute activation, isn't there? And there's more stress on the hamstrings.
0: You're hmm. gonna end
1: up with a lower running economy, there's gonna be greater ground reaction forces, probably greater risk of picking up an injury as well if you do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, much you know, better. You're, you're having a greater ground contact time. Yeah, that's it. Isn't what we want. We want it to be a fast contact time. Mm. Yeah. So there's my tips, mate is, is, is do more. Yeah, practice more. Like in your warm ups, figure out what cadence you're running at. And just people say to me, oh, yeah, but I can't run at that cadence in warm up because I go too fast. And it's like, no, that means you just need to stand taller, like be more upright. You can jog on the spot at 180 steps per minute. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: it's very easy to do. Yeah, to
1: do you set your watch up, set your watch up to to 180, or set your watch up, sorry, so you can see the cadence numbers on your on your yeah. on your dial and you just take a quick glance at it every every rep or every set.
0: A lot um, of the watches now have metronomes too. Mm. The other thing actually that helps is to do a lot of arm cadence work as well. Yes. So if your arms are moving fast, your legs will move fast. If your arms are moving slow, your legs will be moving slow.
1: Have you ever tried running and moving your arms independently of your legs to see if you can go fast arms and slow legs? It's very difficult to do. <laughs> I think it's I have. Moving your arms fast, your legs just have to follow. <laughs>
0: I'm going to try it tomorrow. We did it the I other
1: day. in the gym, And actually, another one we tried the other day was we tried to do we tried to run with our arms moving the same arm and the same leg at the same time. Uh, yeah. That doesn't work either. <laughs> no, that's skipping. That's not good for cadence. <laughs> anyway, that's good. Right, next one. Should you train with heart rate or RPE? Both. Good answer. So RPE is the rate of perceived exertion. Generally, I mean, most people take it from a scale of 1 to 10, that's, that's, that's well known, but there is the Borg rating as well, which I think goes from 6, six to 20, isn't it? Correct. And that's based on your, if you times it by 10, it's meant to be based on your, your heart rate, or roughly your heart rate. So 6 times by 10, you're looking at 60, which is probably your initial exercise heart rate. So it's slightly raised, elevated that's from your working. wrestling heart rate up to max of 200.
0: Yeah, six is, is nothing. You're resting. It's so they, they take the average resting heart rate, which is 60 beats per minute. Okay, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't work for people like us who were resting at like 48, 50. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the original is the Borg six to six 20 scale. scale. Yeah. And it's all based on heart rate. And then yeah, one to 10 is a little bit easier for people to understand, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But one would correlate to a six and 10 would correlate to a 20. There you go.
1: And so, it's, it's, I mean, for me, I would say this completely depends on what you're doing, time of year, what the effort level is. Like, if you're going to go run in the Dubai summer, if you're going to go run up a mountain, it's very, very hard just to look at your heart rate and to, especially if, it's, you know, if you're going up and down hills, it's going to be up and down, it's going to be all over the place. And in the heat, your resting heart rate and your elevated, if you like, your lower intensity runs, your heart rate's going to be working through the roof just to try and keep the body moving without even looking at efforts or anything. So you can't really take heart rate as reliable. So if you can dial in, and we did this a lot in the summer with our athletes is to dial in how things feel on a, on a, on a sliding scale. And if you know what your effort is compared um, for, sorry, for certain intensity levels, then you are, you're going to do well with that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Also, it's a good chance to check in with yourself. If you, if you're at like normal temperatures and you're going to be doing a zone two heart rate and it feels like a seven out of 10 RPE, mm-hmm. something's not quite right. So you can use it to check in and, and say to yourself, okay, either my zones aren't right, or maybe I'm getting a bit run down or I'm not recovering well. You know, my training's too hard. Or maybe if you've got a tempo run and it feels like a two RPE, then you might need to look at it the other way. Like is training too easy. Your pace is too easy. So, yeah, there's definitely a mix of both there. Always, always. I think every session should have an RPE. Every session. But not every session should be based to heart rate.
1: You can say the same about pacing numbers as well, pacing guidelines. Um, I had a chat with a guy about this yesterday, and he was saying, when I tried to hit my target pacing, my heart rate was through the roof. And then for the second, third, fourth rep, my heart rate was high – just as high, but I couldn't maintain the pace. So what should I do? Should I increase the rest time or do I just dial back the pace? And I, my reply to him was, we're looking here for stress on a certain system in your body. So if we're hitting that higher heart rate number, irrespective of what pace you're running at, that's what we're trying to target. So you keep the rest the same, you run at that intensity, so at that heart rate, and the pace doesn't really matter. It's, not what yeah.
0: It's, yeah. it's my swim coach's favorite thing to tell me is the body doesn't know what pace means.: Yeah. when I tell him that that pace was far too fast, I couldn't hit it and I died trying to hit another one. He <laughs> says, "Good, as long as you die trying to hit it, then I'm happy. <laughs> he, just, he wants you to die yeah. yeah: Good. Last question. Question eight.: Exercises. For avoiding patella tendinitis. And that is from at Jacko underscore Laycock.
1: Interesting wording to avoid patella tendinitis. Yeah. Um, so has he had it before and he doesn't want to get it again? That's what I was wondering.
0: Possibly. Um, <laughs> I think it can, like, it, this is known as uh, runner's knee or jumper's knee. Yeah. Uh, it's actually... It's knee, isn't it? Yeah, patellofemoral syndrome, PFS. Yeah. And I wrote an article on this. Did you? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it was uh I did a series on four ways to prevent your next running injury. Ah. And this was part 4. Oh, perfect. So, um I'll just recap basically. What, uh, what it is so it's characterized by an aching pain in the kneecap area and it's usually worsened when loading a flexed knee joint or keeping it in a flex position for long periods of time um, the way we look at this is that uh, pain in the knee would usually make you think there's a problem at the knee um, which to a certain extent is true with this condition pfs but the knee always is a victim to what's going on at the ankle and the hip. So a lot of people think, oh, I need to strengthen my knee, which thinks, like, oh, I need to do a lot of quad strength, but that isn't always the magic key to fixing um, PFS. What they... um, Found or when I wrote this article, I found a study that found that runners with PFS were 28% weaker when performing maximal hip abduction. So abduction is moving your leg away from your center line. Adduction is swinging it in. You're adding to your center line. Abduction is away. Um, so they're 28% weaker when performing maximal hip abduction compared to runners without PFS. Hip abductors. Is what prevents your hips from internally rotating. So we're talking about your glute medius here and glute minor. Um, if your hip internally rotates, then you get a knee valgus, and a knee valgus is when the kneecap falls inside the line of where the femoral head, so the the main bone in your in your top of your leg, um, attaches to the hip. So if you imagine where your hip flexors are, basically, if your knee, when you're landing, when you run, is tracking inside of your hip flexor line, Mm -hmm. then you have got a knee valgus. And this is a very good um, indicator to you getting PFS at some point within your running career. So the, the reason for that is it causes internal stress to the knee and it results in pain coming out to you through the knee. But the actual problem isn't. At the knee, it's further up the chain or could be further down the chain.
1: So, would you say then one thing like you could look at focusing on your knee alignment, but obviously the problem is not your knee. It's going further up. Yes. So if, you, if you analyze yourself running and your knees are all over the place, that's a good indication that you might in future suffer from patellar tendonitis.
0: Hmm. Potentially. Yeah. So, to help with it, um, just reading from my article again, I found that quadricep strength does play a role in PFS. However, comparisons between quadricep strengthening program and a hip strengthening program, which was measured, um, in, lo- in the long-term results, both strengthening programs helped to reduce PFS However, short-term results seem to show that patients performing the hip strength program have reduced pain faster than those on quadricep strengthening programs. Mm -hmm. So if you want to fix it faster, get onto a hip strength strengthening program. And I'm going to come on to that, what that might look like in a minute. Um, But then a study as well looking at short-term hip strength on PFS that lasted three weeks and found a 30% increase in maximal hip abduction uh, strength in patients with PFS. So you can really fix this quick in three weeks um, if you you go about it the right way. Traditionally, three weeks is not seen as a long enough um, time frame to cause muscular strength. Uh, So it's likely, and this was the interesting bit, it's likely that the strength increase comes from neuromuscular form. So this is where you start to get the words like switch your glutes on. Yeah. uh, Come into play. I actually had a discussion with a client the other day who said, I'm really weak in my glutes. And I said, mate, I don't think you're actually weak. I said, I think you just don't know how to fire them um so you need to really focus on what you're doing when you're doing like your glute bridges your side um side planks with leg raises and, and figure that feeling out and then try and feel it when you're running
1: so really get a mind muscle connection in the gym and then you know what it feels like when you're running
0: exactly um and i also finish off to say further to this evidence that i've just gone through the studies that found the hip strengthening protocols to reduce pfs pain also reported the pain reduction at three weeks Whereas if you went through a quadricep strengthening program, the uh, pain reduction came at six weeks. Okay. So hips are the way to go. Hips. Now, how do we do that? Well, um, I'll switch straight to it. I go on a little bit of a rant about coaches who just say switch your glutes on. <laughs> we don't need to read through that. <laughs> Give us your top three exercises for hip strength. Okay. So the first one I go with is a side plank with leg raise. So you're in a side plank position. Your bottom knee is going to be down. You're making a right angle at your knee. So your bottom leg foot is facing directly behind you. And then you lift your hips up to make what we call a modified side plank. You then hold your hips stable at the top. So don't let your hip roll forward. And then you would lift the top leg Um, Keeping your head and uh, your head looking neutral, which should keep your spine neutral as well, and really squeezing your glutes tight as you raise the leg up. You can start this. Some people five reps absolutely smashes them. Mm -hmm. If uh, if you can get up to twenty reps of of work on one side in one go, you're in a pretty good place. So I would work your way up to that. that is holding the side plank position, modified side plank position, and raising your top leg up and down twenty times. You're in a pretty good place. Um, Twenty-five, you're you're pretty strong, and if you can do thirty reps straight off the bat, then you're probably not getting any knee pain with it, um, or you're cheating at the exercise. So just to make it clear, your hips should be absolutely still when doing this. You shouldn't be rocking backwards and forwards or cheating by using your hip flexors and quadriceps. The next one. That's a good one to understand how to feel that your glutes are switched on. So, okay, when I raise my leg, this makes me feel like what I'm meant to be feeling when my foot lands on the ground when I'm running. Another one to do that that's really good is donkey kicks. And you can do those kneeling, you can do them standing, you can do them folded forward, holding onto something, but you're essentially leaning forward or you're on all fours and then you just kick your leg, one leg, straight out back behind you not up you kick straight out back behind you so the sole of your foot should aim to plant onto the wall that's behind you Um, just the same way that you see a donkey kick and you've got to be doing something pretty wrong to not feel your glutes switch on when you do that same thing if you do like a single leg glute bridge you should you should feel that happen but you then got to figure out how do i get that feeling over to when i am running and that's where I really like a single leg medial rotation, which is standing on one leg, you then face forward, you lift the knee slightly, your soft knee on the knee that's still on the, on the ground, on the foot on the ground, so it's in a position like you're going to be when you're landing, when you run, so not straight leg, not super bent, it's called soft knee, it's just slightly bent. Um, and then standing leg, glute should really be tense. So the leg that you're standing on, that glute, should feel like it just was when you're doing those other exercises, the the side plank leg raise and the donkey kick. Then you rotate your body medially which means you rotate inwards towards your middle, which means that the leg that's off the ground will rotate away from you. Then you uh, are trying to stop your knee to fall inside the line of that hip flexor, so the where the Um, femur head goes into the hip if your knee collapses in you'll feel it because the arch of your foot will go flat Mm -hmm. so then it's about trying to keep your glute nice and tight to keep the arch in your foot which then stops the knee falling in and then you come back to the center line where you started and then you try it again and you if you can do that comfortably again for like 20 reps you're winning if you stand on one leg and immediately lose balance then I would do this exercise holding on to something so that you can make sure you do it correctly and feel how it should feel for your glute to be working. And if you want to make life a little bit harder for yourself, you could do it with a resistance band attached to something and then try and um, turn against that resistance or put the band around your knee and try and make it pull your knee in so you've got more resistance to work against on the standing yeah. leg. Adding the external force. Correct. I will put a link to this article in the show notes for those of you who've fallen asleep and might want something to read. (laughs) We have lots of geeks listening to this, so do not worry.
1: There, know what they would be They would have been doing this though. They would have been listening to this podcast, either sitting in their car driving, trying to move and wiggle their legs around to mimic
0: (laughs) driving. Maybe, maybe. I'll find it, um, and I'll put it in the show notes along with that podcast that we talked about. That's it.
1: Perfect. I think that's all the questions we have for today.
0: It is, mate. Otherwise, we're going to be on for a Joe Rogan three hours, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Done. Got to go uh, see how much damage a black lab puppy can cause downstairs. Oh, yeah. So Boz is in charge. That doesn't mean anything, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: means absolutely nothing you're trying to house train two people at the moment
0: (laughs) correct (laughs) easy we'll be back next week maybe with a guest maybe without let's see thank you very much for tuning in guys we'll be back next week see you then have a lovely week